Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. This week, you'll be hearing from Assistant Pastor Chris Robinson. This message was not an easy message. When you take things away from people, that's not a good or fun thing to do. So as you know, we're getting ready to embark on this annual fast. I thought it would be good to preach about it. And when I sat back and tried to think about what to preach about, I was like, well, how do you tell people you can't do something with them complying other than brainwashing you? But really, I mean, how do you do that? So I thought about something that might be kind of fun, kind of a word association game. So when I say something, or we'll go through this list, just you, you, know, you tell me what it is, okay? Low carb, paleo, Atkins, vegan, gluten-free, slim fast, Nutrisystem, Weight Watchers, and if anybody knows what this one is, Noom. No, I've never heard of it. So all those are diets, right? One of the most common used four-letter words that we hear in our society, diet. Now keep in mind that a lot of times these are just temporary. These are not lifestyle changes. They're just temporary fixes. So what do you think of when you think of somebody that fasts? What do, you, what do you think of? Get in your mindset and think. Okay, so we know what somebody on a diet looks like. What does somebody that fasts look like? Would you know it if you saw it? Are they typically that hideous, disfigured person who has skin and bones with bone about ready to come through skin? I was going to use a Walking Dead example if you knew what I meant. <laughs> if you knew what I mean, but I mean... Or are they some handsome guy wearing a blue Under Armour sweatshirt? <laughs> I'm a handsome beast, might I just say, <laughs> might I add. Because would you know it if you saw it? Because the idea of fasting, I'll get into, is so misconstrued that we, do we really know what it means? I do what is called intermittent fasting, where I skip breakfast. Say what you will about breakfast, and that's not part of the Daniel fast, so don't please come out and get me after service is over. But say what you will about breakfast. There is really no scientific evidence that proves you have to have breakfast. And if you've never really looked into it, look into it. I mean, we call it breakfast because, well, you're breaking up fast, right? From sleeping, you're not eating. Breakfast, you know? But is there any evidence that supports it? If you think about the paleo diet, if you will, which has become popular, 
people don't eat breakfast. They typically eat a small lunch, usually like fruit, berries, nuts, whatever, because the, the idea is that they went out, the people before us gathered those small things to, for the kill, for the hunt. So they feasted on what they hunted at night. So they had a big dinner, small lunch, no breakfast. My breakfast usually is coffee, which, no, no, right? But that, I intermittently fast. I've been doing it for the last two years. Or is a faster somebody that's a health nut who tells you it's not that hard to stay away from food? You know, especially when you've struggled with your Oreo habit for years. It's that person who rudely denies a heaping plate of spaghetti with marshmallows, M&Ms, and sprinkles covered in chocolate sauce because the four basic food groups of an elf doesn't fit into the Weight Watchers point system. That was an elf plug, if anybody was familiar with that. The four basic food groups of an elf, sugar, sugar, and more sugar. Well, that's three in it. Okay, that counts. Math is hard, remember? What about a strange person? Do you think of a faster as a strange person? You know, a person that loves self-discipline. I can attest to the fact that that was me at one time. I struggled with self-image, and along with that came this anxiety of always being considered a fat kid, because I was all the way up until high school, and then finally I decided to do something about it. So in college, I, uh, my roommate, he went away for an in internship, and it would just be me, and there'd be some evenings where it would just be like, okay, what do I make for dinner? I'm a lazy college kid, so I'll just grab everything that's in the cupboard and eat it, right? So four bowls of cereal, two sandwiches later, you feel really full, but probably more so, right? So I took it upon myself to fast. Essentially, I would not eat all weekend because I was disciplining myself from eating so much that Friday night before. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? Maybe the eating part, but not the two days of not eating, right? What about a legalist? Is somebody that fasts a legalist? You know that person that gives up something wrapped in bacon every 13th day of the month? Just got to do it because it's for the Lord. Or lastly, does Jesus come to mind? If you were to read in the Bible, in the beginning of Matthew, it wouldn't take very long to find that Jesus fasted in Matthew 4 and taught about fasting in Matthew 6. But if you want to get really technical about it, Joseph probably fasted in chapter 2 in order to get his family to safety in Egypt, and John the Baptist fasted on locusts and wild honey. Which, by the way, if he were to go by this, he couldn't have the honey. He'd just have a diet of locusts. So what's the point? Fasting is a part of the Bible. And so if Jesus and other prominent bi biblical figures practice fasting and Jesus himself taught on it, why is fasting one of the most feared and misunderstood teachings of Christianity? So we need to begin with the basics, right? So what is fasting? Fasting. Webster's defines fasting as the abstinence from food. And dictionary.com 
considers fasting as to abstain from all or some kinds of food or drink, especially as part of a religious, religious observance. Yet, if you were to do a general search, our culture has come to know fasting on much broader terms than just food. Take, for instance, you could do, do a fast where you fast from other people. 2020 is here, so please stop fasting from me. You could do a fast for media, which I would venture to say that a lot of people need to go on personally, but, you know, fast from Facebook, fast from Instagram, fast from Twitter, which is for older people, uh, <laughs> Snapchat, Marco Polo. You know, there, there's things that they suggest you should fast from. In fact, there's an article. I can't remember the guy's first name, but his last name is DeBelli. He talks about how media, not just social media, but media in the sense of news and all that stuff, is like M&Ms. You can't live without it, and it's just sweet enough, long enough for you to want more of it. In fact, they did a study down in Tennessee, the University of Tennessee, I believe, where they took a control group, and they took a group that they exposed them to negative media for five minutes. This control group had the mindset afterwards that, you know, there's still hope, there's still love, there's all this good stuff. But the people that were exposed to media for five minutes, their mindset and view of the world drastically dropped. So think about that, five minutes. How long are, is the news? How long, where's Matt? How long is Fox News? How long is, how long is CNN? So think about that. They, their study was only for five minutes. How long do we expose ourselves to negative media? Obviously, there's fasting from sports and hobbies, which the New England Patriots are dead to me. <laughs> yeah, right? There's, there's fasting from sleep. I don't know why you want to do that. And then there's fasting for medical purposes. Obviously, for those of men know what I'm talking about. And for some women, you have to fast in order for blood sugar levels and stuff like that. So there's, there's fasting involved in different things. Okay, so if there's fasting in our culture, and they're aware of the benefits of it. Wouldn't you really say that those attempts are just for self-discipline and self-denial? Really just to forgo pleasure or go through a personal trial? And is there really any eternal value to what our culture promotes as fasting. So what separates fasting for the Christian? Really, why don't we know much about it? How many sermons have you really heard on fasting? And did you know that fasting is in the Bible more than baptism? In his book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Dr. Donald Whitney defines fasting for the believer as the voluntary abstinence from food with a God-centered biblical purpose, usually done with the intent to be more like Christ. Makes sense, right? With that, though, he implies fasting is not an end in itself. It is a means to practice humility before the Lord in order to focus on God's purpose and worship him as our means of substance. Because after all, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone. 
John Piper also says that fasting is a means to intensify one's prayer life. So Dr. Whitney goes on to identify this twenty or yeah this three week fast, the Daniel fast, as a partial fast, based on Daniel's spirit, spiritual and dietary experiences. Meaning, there are no specific rules on the amount of food that you eat. Do you hear what I said? There are no rules on the amount. I'll, more on that in a minute. I mean, you, you can still eat three meals a day with snacks in between. And Dan, he gets this from Daniel 10, 2 through 3, that says, In those days I, Daniel, was warning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till those whole three weeks were up. Which shouldn't have been a problem for Daniel, because if you remember in Daniel 1, which was 70 years earlier, he only had vegetables to eat and water to drink. But there's no mention here of the amount. And thank the Lord, this is a partial fast. Better yet, thank the Lord that we have the opportunity to give up food. When somebody else in another country, or even in Terre Haute, could look at this list and be like, gosh, that would be so easy for me because two-thirds of this, I don't even get anyway. So count your blessings. You have an opportunity to go through something like this. Dr. Whitney identifies what's called an absolute fast. So thank the Lord this is only a partial fast. Ezra 10.6 talks about Ezra, and he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those in captivity. And then Esther 4.15-16, right before Queen Esther was going to see the king unannounced, she had the Israelites go back and tell Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days night or day so it could be worse i mean if you've already ruled yourself out from doing it look it could be a lot worse so when i tell you the daniel fast is a partial fast no we are allowed to stick to something like three meals with snacks in between quantity should not be an issue and if you're like me who like to eat quantity should not be an issue but you probably if you're like me, the Ron Swanson of you spoke, and look, there's a mistake here. This food is for the food I eat. You know, do you get it? The food I eat is the stuff down here, um, no meat. But this is the food they eat. Secondly, the Daniel fast is voluntary. Some people will not be able to participate completely for medical purposes or will need to modify accordingly. Modifications need to happen, and I say that because of Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan cannot be here. He's on vacation, but he's, he's had some health issues as of late, and he can't not have lean meats. So there's something right there he's going to have to be able to have that's on the foods to avoid. So a modification is okay. And that's where one of the most common characteristics of fasting comes into play, humility. Humility in the sense that we must remember we are not perfect. 
and we are not strong enough on our own to get through something like this. If you looked at these bookmarks and the prayer guides that we handed out last week and ruled yourself out because you saw something you didn't like, did you even ask him, God, if you should participate? And did you even ask how you should participate? Because in all, in all likelihood, the first thing you were drawn to is the what you cannot have, right? I mean, you're no different than I am, I, at least I would think. The first things you look at are the negative things. And the first thing on there was salt, which I know who that rules out. Coffee. Last week, Nancy's response was beautiful. Ah! <laughs> And see, that's the thing, is like me, something, or better yet, someone, spoke to you. First, spoke to your ego. Why? Because if Satan can get you to focus on you, who are you not focusing on? A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Satan wants you to think more highly of yourself than God in turn putting the focus on you instead of the one who in all cases provides the solutions. Secondly, Satan uses fear, first in the form of unbelief. As in, he gets you to question, do you really believe that by going through a fast where giving up something you cannot live without, like milk, bread, and eggs, that God really has your best interests in mind? Milk, bread, and eggs. Now, if it snows, all those things are going to be gone anyway. <laughs> I think somebody be said it best on Facebook. What is it? When it snows, is everybody having French toast? <laughs> but those are three of the most common things probably in everyone's house, right? And if you were to take those th three things away, does God really have your best interest in mind? In his book, The Bravest You, our author Adam Kirk Smith talks about another fear, the fear of failure. If unbelief doesn't get you, the number one reason people give in to the fear of failure is that they can't seem to land on their preconceived notion of perfection. Let that settle in real quick. So if you don't give in to unbelief, the next thing this author says is that you'll give in to is the fear of of not reaching your preconceived idea of perfection. That's a legalistic mindset, that you'll see something like this, rule yourself out because you can't be perfect. Is that really what this is all about? I'm not going to do it because there's no coffee. I'm not going to do it because meat's on there. I'm not going to do it because oils aren't on there. Well, yeah, you need oils to cook fried food with. But do you see where I'm going with this? I'm going to rule myself out because I can't be perfect. Well, who, who amongst us can? The fear of failure typically begins even before we start. Knowing this, we can fight the fear of failure by continuing 
without losing our passion as we learn. And he goes on to say, look, mistakes are inevitable. We need to learn how to embrace them and stop being caged by our own perfectionistic mindset. Because our perfectionism, whether we want to call ourselves that or not, will hold us back. We need to be creative and enjoy the experience, which is a good part for me to say, look, I'm modifying too. When I first got this bookmark, I did not see tea on here. Tea has caffeine in it if you get the right one. I'm going to have tea to supplement for my coffee because I like to drink three or four cups a day. Some people I know have crafts per day. Nancy. <laughs> but nonetheless, when I first saw the bookmark, I didn't see tea. So I immediately went to tea and got, went out and got tea. The other thing is, is that I like to work out. So I got a vegan type protein powder to have after my workout. So I'd still have a protein source that's not meat or milk dairy based, but still be able to have something. Little did I know that was actually on the listing that said not to have, but you know what? Perfectionism is not what this is about because that is a works-based mindset. And really, these, these lies that the enemy throws at us can be squashed by thinking on what is true and what we can control and remembering this little prayer I picked up from Pastor Dave Early's book, The 21 Most Effective Prayers. I can't, you can, please do. I can't, you can, please do. First, the focusing on truth. So I mentioned I'd, I've been reading a devotional, still reading it because just the way I am. Um, her name is Asherita QQ. Just Asherita, that's a very uncommon name. That should be easy to remember. On the names of Jesus, is an Advent devotional. She talks about the name of Jesus as, you know, Jesus is the truth. Referencing John 14, 20, 14, 6. Sorry. She says, think about it. Satan is called the father of lies, John 8, 44. So he specializes in taking truth and twisting it. Our enemy whispers, no one's watching, no one cares, no one's keeping track. And then those lies slither around your neck like a noose. But she says, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we learn to see what is really true. And so she says, we must fill our hearts and minds with the truth so we can immediately recognize those lies. Secondly, to what we can control. We can control our thought lives. Did you ever think about that? A lot of people I know, talk, they have scattered brain, the random thoughts, they haven't had enough coffee, you know, your brain just keeps working, you don't think straight a lot of times. Sorry, Nancy, I'm picking on you, I don't mean to. <laughs> usually, usually it's Bernie, so today is you. But you know what I'm saying? You, you, your mind, I can't control my thoughts. And a lot of times my mind just wanders. What is the best ice cream you've ever had? There's one up in Montezuma called the Tasty Freeze, or a place called the Tasty Freeze. 
they have this one thing called the, uh, it's, not, it's a green-eyed monster or something like that. It's a mint Oreo, so cookies and cream, mint cookies and cream with something else in it. And it's just, I can almost eat the styrofoam, it's so good. Now, what's your favorite puppy? What was the best puppy you ever had or ever seen? Were you able to think about both, the best ice cream and, and a puppy dog? If you were to able to make that switch that easily, you can control your thoughts. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any virtue, if anything praiseworthy, worthy, meditate on these things. Too oftentimes, we get stuck in a negative mindset, and we don't meditate on those things, like whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, and we get sucked into the mindset that Satan wants us to have, basically on ourselves, right? And it's also having these kind of thoughts. Who does your hunger work for? You know, I was going to go to the Austin Powers, who does number two work for mindset or example. But really, who does your hunger work for? Does your hunger work for you or do you work for your hunger? Do you eat food or does the food eat you? I can tell you, we're, if you're going to go through this, no matter what you do to modify, you're likely going to experience hunger. That's, that's great. You know why? Because, like I mentioned, John Piper says that helps intensify prayer. If you tell yourself, my hunger works for me, and you experience those things, pray. Pray. You know, we talk about praying unceasingly. It's not this whole thing about constantly praying. It's about having the willingness to pray when you're prompted. That's what praying unceasingly means. So when you're hungry, pray. But also know that there are things you can do to combat your hunger. Because oftentimes we get hunger and thirst confused. And a lot of times we're really thirsty when we actually think we're hungry. Drink some water. You would not believe how many people walk around dehydrated. Almost 90%. Which, I look at Dina, she's drinking water. Good job, Dina. You would not believe how many people really are dehydrated. In fact, so much so that here lately when I've bought new workout programs, the, the person that wrote it, almost immediately the first thing he talks about is drinking more water. So drink more water. That'll help quench your hunger. Secondly, you can eat foods like apples and or grapes because those kind of things help keep you full longer. Then there's slow digestive things that are on this list, like beans. I know why some of you are like, oh, I know. But, but beans stay in your stomach longer because they take longer to digest. Thus, you stay fuller longer. So there are things you can do to help combat that hunger. Then there are things you can do to use that hunger to your advantage. Don't let it control you during these next three weeks, or even ever. And then the next question you need to meditate on, if you said 
you couldn't do this, Daniel fast, because of some earthly thing, whose are you really? I hope you have the steel toes on for that question. If you are ruling yourself out from the Daniel fast because of some earthly thing, who do you really belong to? Because if you say you, then who do you ultimately belong to? Food is just an earthly thing. Yes, we need it, but do we need everything? In other words, would you rather see your buddy Big Mac for three weeks or see somebody else's family suffer for eternity? Because that's what we're doing this for. It's not. We're praying for other people's families, for restoration and healing. Would you rather be at McDonald's for the next three weeks visiting Big Mac? No. Or at the steakhouse to see, go see Angus? Or would you rather see the family restored in our community especially? Because I, I see teenagers, Jonathan and Heather and I see teenagers every Wednesday night that could use some restoration in their family. And then lastly, that prayer. I can't, you can, please do. It's rooted in Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I can't. That part of it, you acknowledge your inability to meet this challenge. First of all, you're not big enough. Please don't take this the wrong way. You're not smart enough. And you're not strong enough. If it were totally up to me or you, this wouldn't happen. So secondly, we acknowledge you can. We express our faith in God, saying, I have complete confidence in God to be sufficient for this task. And please do. I ask him to act and fulfill his promise to have my best interest in mind. I can't. I can't. You can. Please do. It's real simple. It's, it's what, seven words? It's a seven-word prayer? Everybody can say that, right? However, I, I do want to make this note. Modifications and medical reasons aren't to be confused with excuses. Let me put it to you this way. In a society that avoids discomfort at all costs, where we're surrounded by medications to relieve or even forget any kind of pain, and things such as recreational drugs, abortion, and euthanasia, are used to absolve any inconvenience, Christians in a gluttonous, denialist, self-indulgent society may struggle to accept and practice fasting because few things go so radically against our flesh. <laughs> I, I think that quote in and of itself speaks for itself. And so we need to remember that rather than run away from the pain or the temporary discomfort we may experience, Jesus ran headlong into it. I have it down, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. 2 Philippians 5-8. through 8, Paul says, Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, looking to him as your selfless example of selfless humility. Then he goes on to say, After he was found in outward appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further, becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Will you live without meat? Will you live without eggs? Will you live without coffee? Yeah. But if we're focusing on what we can't and can't have, we've already doomed ourselves because we're not doing it for the right reasons. This isn't about the cans and can'ts of humanity. This is about what God wants. So you combine this example of humility with the fact that nowhere in Scripture does it say that fasting is no longer to be done, that Christians in the book of Acts practice fasting. One could say that Jesus expects his followers to fast. Even in Matthew 6, when he says, when you fast, he didn't say if, he's saying when you fast. And prior to that, he talks about giving, when you give and when you tithe, which we do, no problem. But he says when you fast, so it's expected. So that's why perseverance is so important. The more times we show up, however that may look, modifications, medical reasons, whatever, the better our chances of fulfilling God's purpose, of bringing healing, restoration, and hope to the family. You know what I know, and maybe some of you know this too, results require action. It's nice to think about what it would look like at, after these three weeks are up and how the families would be all together and stuff like that. But if we want results, it takes action. It takes time on our knees. It takes time in our word. And that's not just for this. That's for life. I admittedly am a horrible procrastinator. Or I'm really good at it. I don't know. But too often, things get neglected and don't go the way I want them to because I procrastinate. And I would hate to say that there are a lot of procrastinating Christians in this world. We need to spend time on our knees, no matter what that looks like. My hope is to encourage you not to focus so much on what you can't and cannot eat but to focus on why we're doing this, why the Wabash Valley thought it important. In fact, I'll even say that Dr. Mark Eckert, our superintendent, sent out a letter to the pastors asking for everybody to participate in a 21-day Daniel fast, which is interesting to me because I don't know that he has any idea about what's going on up here in Vigo County. So to me, that solidifies the fact that, hey, this is, might be something that God is calling us to, whatever that may look like. Max said it best yesterday. If you keep thinking about a cheeseburger for these next three weeks, go have a cheeseburger. But don't use the excuse that Pastor, Pastor Chris said, go eat a cheeseburger and have one every day. <laughs> go, like I said, go visit your buddy Big Mac. But it's, it's, not, it's not what it's about. It's God is calling us to do something because he knows we can, first of all. And he wants to know where our hearts truly lie. Paul says in Romans 5, 3 through 5 about perseverance. We can rejoice. When we run into problems and trials, we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength or character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. 
So fasting is to be done with a purpose and prayer. Having a vision and plan for you, what you want to do is imperative to fight any fear and be connected with your purpose. What people don't understand is that it's much easier to end up at a destination when you have it marked on a map as opposed to not. If you've ever driven somewhere hoping to reach there and didn't have cell phone service, an atlas, which I don't know how many people still use an atlas. I'm not that old. I'm not raising my hand because I do. I remember when my parents would drive to places and we'd always have that big, anybody know what I'm talking about? The big atlas book. Indiana would be like three pages over. You'd fold it out in the bed of the truck. You know, we get on 70 to go here and here and here. And we have Google Maps, right? Or some other app to get us where we're going. But if you don't have that kind of stuff and don't know where you're going, are you going to reach your destination? Likely not. And that's what this is about, is having a plan in place for these next three weeks. Prayer, humility, abstaining from some foods. It's not about what you can and can't have, as I've said and reiterated so many times. If you have just enough, the minimal amount to at least make yourself hungry, to at least remember to pray when you're hungry, that's all God's asking for. Go see Big Mac. Go see Angus. But remember what this is about. So basically, fasting is to be done with a God-centered biblical purpose. Let's go to Zechariah 7, 1 through 10. I'll give you just a jet, jet plane overview. The Israelites customarily send a couple people to inquire of the priests and prophets in the house of God. Should we fast on the fifth month and the seventh month? So we pick it up at verse 4. God of the angel armies gave me, Zechariah, this message for all the people and for all the priests. When you held fasts of, when you held days of fasting every fifth and seventh month, all these 70 years, were you really doing it for me? And when you held feasts, were you really doing those for me? Hardly. You're more interested in religion. I'm interested in people. Isaiah 58, second part of verse 3 through 5. God says to the prophet Isaiah, Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? You see, the practice of fasting goes so much deeper than the food you can and cannot have. God declares that he delights not merely in his people going without some daily staples, but in loosing the bonds of wickedness and undoing the heavy burdens on those who are oppressed. And yet, if we continue to have self-centered thinking while wickedness and oppression thrives, is that really what God expects from his people, his children? Zechariah and Isaiah are examples of people that did fasting just to do it. 
for some religious purpose. They were legalistic about it. They did it with the wrong intentions. And while things go on, especially the downfall of the family, I haven't put anything in here because I'm pretty sure you know what I mean when I say the downfall of the family. You can't put on a show on TV if you still put on TV or stream something where the family is being redefined. And you can see it in our young ones. Typically, teenagers that lash out don't have a good dad. And do you know what the least celebrated holiday is? Father's Day. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn any dads or father figures in here. I'm just telling you that the family is eroding quickly. So much so that I don't have it in my hand. So much so that a cell phone replaces parents, or any kind of screen for that matter. I just heard, was it Thursday or Friday morning, uh, I listen to Focus on the Family occasionally when I get a chance, and they had a family specialist on there, and she was talking about the family that eats together grows together. But she said, do you know what a family meal typically looks like nowadays? It's typically in a van or an SUV going through the drive-thru. Now, there's nothing wrong with that when it's minimally done, but what she's saying is that if that eats up the majority of your week, something's got to go. Something needs to change because you need to spend time together with your family around the table, no distractions. That means no cell phones, no screens, no TVs, which is a screen. I get it, but eliminate those things and tell people, look, I cannot be reached between 5 and 8 p.m. That's dinner and family time. If you call, <laughs> unless it's several times because it's an emergency, I'm not going to answer. I mean, be nice about it. Sure, that was kind of rude, but you get what I'm saying. You need to spend time together around the dinner table as a family. You know why? If you think about Jesus' model of evangelism, how did he reach other people? By eating with them. Because that's the time where you sit down, you're, you quiet your hearts and minds, you just eat, you break bread, and you focus on each other. You don't have to have the birds and the bees discussion with your kids every time, which would be kind of weird if you did it every time. But <laughs> but nonetheless, that's the time you make sacred in your house. King David says this best about fasting, just in general. The, fa the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise these. I'm going to reiterate the point one more time until the horse is literally skin and bones. If you're focusing on what you can and cannot have, then you're doing it for the wrong and or not doing it for the wrong, right reasons, whatever. God just wants a broken spirit. He wants a contrite heart. He wants to know that, number one, you're willing to give up something just enough to say that he is God, that he is the one in control, that he can solve any of your problems. I'm not giving up caffeine because you know why? I've done it before. I've gone cold turkey, and I've had a migraine for two days in a row, and I'm, that's not what this is about. I'm not going to be on the floor needing morphine to make myself feel better, which, believe it or not, I had a person tell me one time that, that morphine, that migraines are really, 
I take too much morphine, I guess. <laughs> I, I had a person tell me one time that a migraine is really just a person that can't handle pain. I said, well, lady, you have no idea what you're talking about. But I've gone cold turkey off of caffeine before, and I know what kind of migraine that brings with it. I don't, I don't want to go there. So I'm doing what I have to in order to still get my caffeine in a better, healthier way and some black teas. Isaiah 57 goes on and says this too. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Doesn't that sound wonderful? To spend time with the Lord where he's at? To have a spirit broken just enough to know that you need him? That's all he wants. I mean, he wants you to have a broken spirit so that you remember that there's a community, city, county, state full of people that really don't know what family life is truly all about. So how do you foster a broken and contrite heart? Well, through prayer. I mean, I don't need to spend another half hour talking about prayer, do I? That was your time to say no, but... But I am going to share this story with you. As the worship team comes, I will share the story. In 1925, a man by the name of Ray Edmond, who was in Ecuador on a mission trip, about a year after his marriage, and so you know, a couple months after having a newborn, Things were looking great. His family and ministry were being blessed. Then all of a sudden, he got deathly ill with typhus. In fact, it got so bad, his wife dyed her wedding dress black and friends purchased a coffin. While at that same time at a Bible conference in New England, home of the terrible patriots, his Uncle Joe felt a heavy burden to pray. In fact, so much so that the people that were there with him prayed right through lunch without even knowing it. And by mid-afternoon, the burden had lifted. So with death becoming a reality, Ray Edmonds says he became aware of something, something he describes as a presence a presence that completely filled the room. He said, it was at that point I knew what it was. For in those moments I experienced a sweet sense of the love of God in Christ, such as I had never known before in all my years of life. Why do I share this example with you? Because intercessory prayer saved his life. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So you have a purpose for the family. It starts with getting our knees, the broken just enough to say, Lord, you are the one in control. If you want me to give up something that's a part of this Daniel fast or isn't a part of this Daniel fast, then tell me. 
open my eyes and open my heart so that I am the one you're wanting me to be through for these next three weeks. As we embark on these next three weeks, it's not about you. It's about praying to the Lord with one heart and one voice on behalf of the families. And I book earmarked these promises in Isaiah 58. So if you remember, I read a part of Isaiah 58 because the Israelites weren't doing what they were supposed to do. God shared these promises with the prophet Isaiah. He says that if you do these, if you do fasting the way I tell you to do it, verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. 